Well, I certainly hope that all of you had a wonderful New Year's. To, uh, and uh, starting off a New Year's, I like to start off on the right foot. This year, though, I find that after the events of 2020, many are asking this question. How do I prepare for what we don't know what to prepare for? Let me say that again. How do we prepare for what we don't know what to prepare for? Certainly, if 2020 taught us anything, is that expect the unexpected. And we don't know what 2021 is going to look like. There are many concerns on the horizon, everything from COVID to the American economy, to the political scene, to the unemployment numbers, to the inner cities, to rumors about a great reset, and so forth. We just don't know what to expect, and therefore, how do we prepare for what we don't know what to prepare for? The first text I received this year was from Don from church here, and it wasn't uh, Happy New Year's. It was 2021 is going to be proved to be the uh, most occurrences of the largest swarm of insects that we've ever seen. My first story in my new f- news feed was that a UFO crash landed in the ocean just outside of Hawaii. At least he was going to the right place, right? You know, I give the alien all kinds of credit for that. And I'm like, oh Lord, here we go. You know, we just don't know what to prepare for. So then, Lord, how do we prepare properly? We started the book of Joshua on Wednesday nights towards the end of last year. We're almost finished with it. And as we were going through it, I think all of us who are participating were surprised by how relevant it was for us today. It begins by God encouraging Joshua to be strong and of good courage, knowing that Joshua was fearful in succeeding the role of leadership of the children of Israel after the death of Moses. But as we come to the end of the book of Joshua, which is one of my favorite books in the entire Bible, we come to the verse that my personal family has adopted since the day that Dean and I have got, got married. This year will be 27 years ago. And I think it's an incredibly poignant point to make at the beginning of this year. Helping us to prepare for what we don't know what to prepare for. And we find this statement in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 24. If you look there in your Bible with me. I would strongly encourage you to read all of the book of Joshua. But as we come to the end of Joshua's life, as he speaks to the people after arriving into the land in which God had promised them, And as they are now enjoying the blessings of that land, Joshua leaves them with a warning, reminding them, knowing full well of their uh, proclivity to once again return to the gods of the foreign nations around them and the the, the gods of the foreign nations of their forefathers. 
So Joshua warns them, and beginning in verse 14 for our text this morning, Joshua speaking to the children of Israel, to the leaders and all that were around him, he says this, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river, and in Egypt serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites, whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua has always been a hero of mine. Any time that I've felt discouraged in my Christian walk, I've once again returned to the book of Joshua for encouragement, for strength. And Joshua makes a statement here at the end of this book, the end of his letter, before calling the people of Israel into a covenant agreement to be faithful unto God here at Shechem. Joshua says unto the people, You choose. You decide. You determine for yourself what you will do. But as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. It's a very definitive statement. It's a statement of resolve. It's a statement of uh, the fact that I know that I can't control everything around me, but what I can control, I choose to serve the Lord with. And I feel this very appropriate for us today. There is so much that we can't control. And often it's in those realms that we get overwhelmed the most. Trying to control what we know we can't control. Trying to change what we know we cannot change. And yet for Joshua, he couldn't make that decision for the people of Israel. He knew the consequences and he reiterated those consequences to them earlier. He reminded them of the faithfulness of God towards them, their entire existence as a people, in hopes that once again they would return and be faithful unto God. But see, as Joshua felt it necessary to make this statement, he saw a shift happening before him amongst the children of Israel. As now they had entered into the land in which God had promised for them and seen one victory after another that that their God has handed them, they began to grow tired. Apathy and complacency began to rise in their hearts and in their minds again. Joshua was all too uh, aware of the fact that For 40 years he was required to wander the wilderness due to the disobedience of the children of Israel 45 some years earlier. And now he is reminding them to remain faithful unto the Lord. And he's leading by example, reminding them that they can't control everything that surrounds them, but what they can control is themselves. Making the predetermination to serve the Lord to set their sights on Him, and to be obedient to His Word. 
The beginning of our preparation for the unknown always begins with our commitment with God. And today, though we cannot control all of the circumstances that surround us, we wish we could, as we long to go back to those days that we remember as quote-unquote normal, we are constantly reminded that there's a new normal ahead of us. I don't know about you, but usually the new version of the old version is never better than the old version, is it? Do you guys remember the new Coke and how bad that, that was? That was like drinking turpentine. It was unbelievable. It's like, why do you mess with a good thing? Today, people are gravely discouraged due to the fact that they keep waiting for it all to return to the way it once was. Not willing to consider that that may never occur. I don't know what is going to happen next, but what I can do is prepare myself the way the Lord would have me prepare myself for whatever does come next. And I can't control everything that's out there, but what I can do is for as me and my family, we shall serve the Lord. As Joshua saw things changing before him and knew the wickedness of one's own heart, and he knew that the people were prone to wander, as he's now concluding his days here on this earth, he wants to leave a legacy to his family, a consideration that I don't think many Americans consider any longer. What are we leaving behind to the next generation, to our children. If you were to look at the United States of America, you would probably conclude that we are not concerned about the next generation at all. Because we have become absolutely perfect at leaving our problems for another generation to resolve. In 2007, prior to the financial collapse here in the United States of America, The national debt was $800 billion, big number. Today, 2021, we are starting off with $7.5 trillion in debt. As one stimulus package is released after another, let us please understand and know that the U.S. dollar is no longer money, it is simply currency. There's nothing behind it. We have removed it from the gold standards back in 71. We have become the world currency, the standard for currency around the world in trading. Due to the economic infrastructure that we have here in the United States of America. But if we were to come off of that standard, if the world was to abandon the dollar, the dollar would collapse immediately. And let us understand that each and every single time that a stimulus package is put forward, it is just more money diluting the value of the money that is already out there, currency that is already out there. 
And yet we feel perfectly satisfied to leave that debt to another generation to try to resolve and to fix. Consistently looking just to fix the temporal at the moment and leave the consequences of that decision to the next generation that follows. Joshua didn't want to do that. Joshua wanted to remind the people of the faithfulness of God to them. And if they were to abandon him for other gods, he would chasten them as a loving father in a very harsh way. And that's exactly what happened. See, Joshua didn't want to set up the children of Israel for failure. He wanted to set them up for success. We have serious issues in this country that need to be discussed and resolved, and yet we keep kicking that can down the road again and again and again and again, hoping that someone else will resolve the problems. Notice when legislation is passed in our government, often the effective date of that legislation is after the president is no longer in office. See, Joshua didn't want to do that. He wanted them to be successful and fruitful in the land. So he reminded them of the faithfulness of God and all that God had done for them. He called them into a commitment. Choose this day in whom you shall serve. He made a covenant so they would remember it. And hopefully that covenant would be strong enough to motivate them to faithfulness, which of course it wasn't. But that was the heart of Joshua in stating what he stated. And of course, he couldn't control what they would do. For their independent thinking and their independent decisions would draw those conclusions for themselves. Knowing full well that you reap what you sow. And Joshua wanted to make it clear. I can't control what you do. You choose yourself. You decide for yourself if it is good to follow God or not. But as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. I love the resolve of Joshua. He couldn't control everything around him. But what he could control was himself and his family. And that's what he chose to do. What led Joshua to such a resolve? In what appears to be a wake of mounting pressure that began to express itself in the actions of the Israeli people, the Jewish people. Joshua, now elder in years, just prior to his death, is more resolved than he appears to have ever been in his entire life. What contributed to that resolve? What events in the life of Joshua allowed him to draw the conclusions, I don't care what the rest of you decide to do. But as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. I think there's a great deal to learn from Joshua. And it all begins in Exodus chapter 17, where Joshua is called by Moses to lead the armies of Israel against the Amalekites. And from the very beginning, Joshua learns a fundamental principle in which his whole service to the Lord will be based upon. 
And that is, is, that, is that it, the battle belongs to the Lord. Joshua knew that the children of Israel in and of themselves were incapable of beating the Amalekites. But with God's help, they were undefeatable. And as a result, Joshua learned from the very beginning. That's the first exposure that we have to him. Scholars believe, Jewish scholars specifically believe Joshua was in his mid-twenties at this point. Obviously born and raised in Egypt in the captivity, he understood heartache, he understood slavery, he understood bitterness, he understood the harsh treatment in which the Jewish people had experienced. But that was all a backdrop for the incredible thing that he saw God do through the hands of Moses. Delivering the children of Israel in the manner in which he did. As the plagues came upon Egypt, one right after another, I have no doubt that Joshua watched in just awe as his God would spare the children of Israel and judge the Egyptians for their reluctancy to let God's people go. Finally, the Passover came. And Joshua saw that underneath the blood of the Lamb, death would pass over. And these were the things that filled Joshua's mind as he began to lead the people of Israel out with Moses. In fact, though, many do not realize that he is not called Moses' assistant until he gets to Mount Sinai. And something very interesting happens at that moment. As Moses is called to to come up to the uh, side of the mountain to receive what God had for him, do you know Joshua was just a little further down that same mountain and was not amongst the people when the people fell into idolatry? Joshua had a heart for God. He wanted to be as close to God as God would allow him to be. In service to Moses, he sat and waited to see if there was anything that Moses would need as he was receiving what he was receiving from God. But being up there, it spared Joshua from the idolatry that took place within the camp. And we see that Joshua was naturally being set up as the successor to Moses. But that doesn't tell us everything about Joshua until you get to Exodus chapter 33. There's an obscure verse in verse 11 that as the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend and he, that is Moses, would return to the camp. But there's a statement that Moses includes within this verse that is inescapable And definitely contributed to the heart of Joshua. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the temple, or the tabernacle, excuse me. It means that Joshua sat and waited on God even after Moses had left. Joshua was cultivating his own personal relationship with God. 
His heart, his devotion to God was individual. It wasn't through Moses. It was something that he personally wanted to establish as a young man. And this set his course for his entire life. His devotion to his God. And then later on we discover that as the 12 spies go into the land 45 years earlier from the moment in which we are reading, he was one of the two spies that came out and said, God is perfectly capable of delivering this land into our hands. All we need to do is trust Him. I saw him faithful with the Amalekites. I saw him faithful giving uh, uh, Moses the direction. On Mount Sinai, I sat in the tabernacle and waited on the Lord in prayer. I have no doubt that God will deliver the land in which He has promised to us as He stated He would. And He and Caleb made it abundantly apparent that they were all for going in, even bringing out a large bushel of fruit from the land, saying, look, we went through the drive through look what we got. They were excited to see what God was going to do next. But their voices got drowned out by the ten. And the ten told the people what they wanted to hear, not what they needed to hear. And the ten spies told the people that, nope, it is impossible. The giants of the land are too big. The obstacles are too great only clearly identifying that they were looking at the challenges through their own eyes and through their own ability. Not bringing God into the equation. Where Joshua, on the other hand, always brought God into the equation and therefore he saw everything through those eyes, through those lenses. And there was nothing difficult in the land for them to overcome. And God was going to be faithful but the people heard what they wanted to hear from the ten. In 2021, I predict that we are going to be challenged as evangelical Christians concerning our orthodoxy to biblical doctrine. There's a rising movement that is gaining steam, popularity, and power. It's called progressive Christianity. Progressive Christianity believes that they are fulfilling the three most important tenets of Christianity. Number one, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we would say amen. To love your neighbor as yourself. We would say amen. And their third is to love ourselves. That one we would maybe question. Though they hold to orthodox understandings of Jesus Christ and the Bible, in many cases they do not consider the moral practices of the Bible for today. Therefore, the gay and lesbian lifestyle is perfectly acceptable unto God. In fact, one of their scholars actually wrote a paper stating that there isn't a Greek word, Hebrew word, or Aramaic word in the entire Bible for homosexuality. That's the biggest fallacy in the entire world. And people believe it. But not only are they for gay and lesbian lifestyles and marriage, but they are also for abortion. And I'm sorry, over 70 million children have been slaughtered in the United States since the passing of Roe v. Wade. 
And yet this form of Christianity is gaining strength and popularity. It is also prospering financially. Because it seeks to eliminate all of the objections that the world would have to Christianity. And yet I ask the question then, is it Christianity that is being represented any longer? We're not talking about accepting an individual, allowing them to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and then allowing Him to work that sanctification process within them. That's not what they're saying. They're saying that they can fully embrace these things without any repercussions and that God is fully for it. And yet I ask, what Bible are you reading? But as the voice of progressive Christianity rises, and we saw it in this past election, it is our voices that will be challenged by them. And people will see the two groups. One will say, die to self. The other says, love yourself. Which one do you think people are going to choose? There will be more of this. You'll hear more of it as we go on but it certainly will inhibit the progression of evangelism in the United States of America. And after the people listen to the ten rather than the two, Caleb and Joshua were therefore subjected to 40 years of wandering with the children of Israel simply waiting and watching for that generation to die. Listening to the complaining and the griping and the nagging those 40 years as they literally wandered in circles. Listening to the people bellow, wanting to once again go back to Egypt because Oh, in Egypt, we just had it so good. We were completely misused as slaves. We had it so good. That's called revisionist history. Oh, yes, we were slaves and we were subjected to Pharaoh and he would kill us without any concern or, uh, uh, or any kind of conscience. And yet the leeks and the onions were just so tasty, you know. Nuts. Craziness. And yet Joshua and Caleb had to watch and listen and wander with these people day in and day out and day in. Just think about being subjected to a room with all of those noises that you absolutely hate. Think of that for a moment. Maybe it's nails on a chalkboard, you know. Maybe it's the kids of your neighbor upstairs running at all hours of the day or night. Whatever that noise may be, just think of 40 years of subjection to that kind of just just noise and, and interference and so forth, and yet they didn't sour on God, either one of them. They could have easily, and I could see many Americans doing this, say, oh God, why am I here? I did what you asked me to do, Lord. I did everything right, Lord, and now I'm looking with all these nut jobs, you know. It would have been so easy for both of these guys to do that, but they didn't. They remained faithful to God. And both of them enjoyed what God had to give them, even though they were older in age in doing so. 
Joshua undoubtedly became the leader to lead the people in after succeeding Moses, and Caleb was given one of the choicest area, but hardest areas to conquer within all of the land. And yet Joshua stayed faithful to God regardless of the murmuring and complaining, and I wonder if it's because he saw the emptiness of faithlessness. Did he witness and watch as these people simply were dying one right after another simply because they didn't believe in God? And though I see a lot of challenges ahead of us in 2021, I also see a unique opportunity in 2021. And that is is as the world continues to exhaust all of its um, resources and powers and abilities, and leaves people listless in its wake, the only answers that are going to truly fulfill them are the answers that we have from the Scriptures. And I believe that we are seeing, as the the world exhausts our political and medical and science fields, and this is why individuals in Darvos are crying out for a great reset. We have to do things differently going forward. Because we are not providing the answers that people need any longer. That's because the world doesn't have those answers. They're incapable of answering those questions that are plaguing the human being, the human individual. Who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? What is the meaning of life? From the days of the philosophers of old to today, these are the questions that still haunt people day in and day out. And unfortunately, as the world is being exhausted and we are discovering that they don't have the answers any longer, and when we challenge them now on that point, saying, why is it that you don't appear to have the answers that we need? We are told to shut up because we are asking ignorant questions. And therefore, you have the birth of the cancel culture. The only reason a cancer culture, cancer, it is a cancer culture, cancel culture can be implemented in a society is when that society no longer has the answers to give to the people. You understand that, right? But yet we have to stay on narrative. We have to let people believe that we still have the answers that they need for their lives. And we must drown out any type of opposing opinion or viewpoint because it might lead them away from believing that we are the intelligentsia that the world needs. But after he became the successor of Moses, he began to see God in a whole new and personal and intimate way. Joshua had a right perspective of himself. He's always seen as a humble man throughout the scriptures. A great warrior. And yet, the beginning of his book, he shares with us that God began to address the growing concern within Joshua's heart. He was afraid. And he needed courage to do what God asked him to do. You know, we are so 
misled to believe that everything that God asks us to do is going to be easy. That ministry or serving the Lord isn't going to be difficult and hard at times. That it isn't going to require our commitment or our resolve to see it through and persevere. Christianity is not a sprint, it's a marathon, and we have to pace ourselves accordingly and prepare ourselves accordingly. Joshua knew of the task that was ahead of him and was fearful, and the Lord met him there and encouraged him over and over and over again, be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. I am with you. And that's what Joshua needed to hear. The same thing happened in the New Testament when you come to the book of Acts, when it comes to Paul. Entering into the city of Corinth, he was fearful, knowing the reputation of Corinth, the strength of its intellectual community, the known resistance that he would experience to the gospel message, and the possible persecution in which he would face. And in one of, all, one of the only places in the book of Acts where Luke records the actual words of our Lord, God appears to him and says, Do not be afraid. The text before it would have given us no indication whatsoever that Paul was fearful. But because God said that, God revealed what was in Paul's heart. And Luke gives us that to show us that God saw and was concerned with what's in the heart of those in whom serve him. That's what Joshua needed to know. Joshua needed to know, I don't know what's going to happen next in the land in which you're giving us, God. I don't know what we're going to face. I don't know what battles we are going to have to fight. I don't know what obstacles we are going to be challenged with. What I do need to know is this. Are you with us? Because if God is for us, who can be against us? That's what we need to know today. We don't know what's going to happen in 2021. We've quit predicting after 2020. But God does. And as long as I know that God is with me is pretty much all I need to know. It may not be easy. It may be a very difficult road ahead for us. But are we not confident that God will sustain us? Carry us when we are so weak? Isn't He strong? In those moments that we are faithless, isn't He faithful? You see, it was at that moment that I believe that Joshua then came to the realization that God knew of what he was in need of before he asked. I think I read that in the New Testament someplace too. That when we pray, we go to our Lord and Savior who's already in knowing what we are in need of before we ever ask of it. He's not unaware. He isn't clueless. He isn't busy working on something else and then we have to catch him up and you know, uh, get him up to speed on what we're in need of. No, he's perfectly capable of knowing what we are needing of. And now that Joshua knew that whatever he faced, the difficulty from the people, the obstacle of the enemy, whatever it was, the Lord was with him and was going to see him to victory. The Lord doesn't always tell us in detail what's going to come next, but what He does do for us is give us promises 
to allow us to stand upon them as we move forward, either over or through the obstacles that are before us. These promises also sustain us and keep us secure in an insecure world when our circumstances seem utterly overwhelming. It's these promises that Paul made it abundantly clear that each and every promise that God has made to us, He is able to perform. And that when God says yes, it is always yes. That's what Joshua needed to know. And as Joshua was then led by the Lord over the river, Jordan. And God said something interesting to the people. He says, I will stop the Jordan River after you put your foot into the water. You need to have some skin in the game. You need to exercise faith and take a step out in faith and see if I will not lead you the rest of the way. We're going to have to proceed by faith in 2021 if we are going to navigate the uncharted waters that we appear to be entering in, whatever they may be. We have to walk by faith, not by sight. We have to trust the Lord and the promises that He has given to us. He must become the preeminence in our life as He was in Joshua's life. But not only did God see the heart of Joshua, but God quickly saw and determined to show Joshua that he saw everything that was going around him. After defeating Jericho, they came to Ai, which they were uh, handedly defeated because Achan had taken things that he wasn't supposed to have taken, unbeknownst to Joshua. There was sin in the camp, and because of that sin, they suffered a defeat and loss. And God showed Joshua where where that sin was. And later, when Joshua made the mistake of trusting the Gibeonites, trusting the Gibbs, without praying about it first, God made it abundantly clear that if Joshua would have prayed about it, God would have shown him very clearly that the Gibeonites were trying to deceive him. This shows me that God knows what's going on around me even when I don't. God knows where those pitfalls are. He knows where those problems are. He knows where those difficulties are. And I just need to follow him through it all. And allow Him to guide me step by step each and every day, each and every step through this new year. Because not only was God aware of Joshua's heart, but was aware of everything going on around him. And even when Joshua failed, now this is so important for us to capture. Even when Joshua failed with the Gibeonites, God used his failure for God's glory. Showing that God can clean up our messes and make all things new. As the Old Testament Scripture says, He can even restore the days that the locusts have taken. And we are going to fail. And we are going to stumble. And we are going to fall. And the enemy would like to believe that we are down and out. That we are finished. That's it. It's over. Just hang it up. 
No, that's when God steps in. See, God never uses condemnation to change a person's heart. Let me be specific. Change a follower, a believer in Jesus Christ's heart. He uses conviction, not condemnation. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Conviction is what brings us about through chastening to cause us to repent and come back to Him. But even our failures, God can use for His purposes and His glory. And it's in our failures that we often learn the most, isn't it? About ourselves, about God, about life, about wisdom. And Joshua took all of that to that moment in which he continued the battle as the Lord was leading and came to the point where he realized that he needed more hours in a day to complete all that God would have him to do and shot up a prayer and said, Lord, we want to finish what you've asked us to do. Can you give us just a few more hours in the day? And what did the Lord do? He gave him a few more hours in that day. A miracle like we've never seen before, the Bible says, and seen since. And Joshua undoubtedly walked away at that moment with the final life lesson that he needed to know. That there's nothing too hard for God. Period. And as we bring all of this to a close this morning, we look at all of that life experience that Joshua had with the Lord, drawing upon it, gleaning upon it, those things that we need to take us forward into 2021. And now when we read these words, let me read them to you again because they're more powerful now, knowing all of what Joshua had experienced and gone through with the Lord. Now therefore, fear the Lord, he says to the people. Verse 14. Serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day in whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Because that's all that made sense to Joshua. After everything he experienced with God. But unfortunately, Joshua's concern became a reality. For as you venture out of the book of Joshua into the next book of the Old Testament, the book of Judges, when you come to Judges chapter 2, verse 10, you read these sobering words. When all of that generation, the generation that had been with Joshua, had been gathered to their fathers, Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work in which He had done for Israel. And one problem for the nation occurred after another. And the judges tried to curtail the demise of the Jewish people. 
And yet they continued to run after other gods. They continued to go back to the gods of the nations in whom they had been delivered from because they had forgotten what God had done for them. They had forgotten all of the faithfulness of God, the blessings of God, the love of God. And they were overwhelmed with the popular opinion of their day and drawn into relationships that caused them to fall into idolatry because they did not know the Lord. They did not know the works of the Lord. We have an awesome challenge ahead of us and that is to raise the next generation up to be able to stand in the world in which we see being created before our eyes. A world that is no longer embracing of Christianity but hostile towards it. But are we going to raise up a generation of children who do not know the Lord? Who do not know the works of the Lord? That is still yet to be seen. You and I can cultivate that same relationship with God that Joshua did. And that relationship begins with repentance. Maybe you don't know the Lord, then your relationship with Him would start with repentance, asking Him to forgive you of your sins and to become your Lord and Savior. But maybe as a Christian, you've struggled in your walk. You've allowed the lusts of your flesh to overwhelm you. You've made decisions that you currently now regret. My answer to you is the same, repent. But repent in the manner in which John states in 1 John 2.9 where he says, if you confess your sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9, I believe. That's the draw that he has. So 2021, let us remember and fear the Lord, reverence Him, repent of our sins. Ask Him to heal our land by beginning to heal us. And then He asks that you get to know Him by spending time with Him each and every day through His Word and prayer. Reading from Genesis to Revelation, understanding who God is and how great He is. As the psalmist called out, he said, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Because this is where it will begin for us. If we have any hope of successfully navigating the uncharted waters before us, let it begin with this. Choosing this day to serve the Lord. The word serve there means to minister to. To be His hands and feet. To allow Him to use us for His purposes. Submitting ourselves to His will. It means seeking to be obedient to the Word of God in a culture that is constantly antagonistic towards the Word of God. It's being a light in the darkness. It is being salt in a world that is decaying quickly. The world will hate us as they hated Him. We will be persecuted for our faith in Christ. But this is where we must understand that we are not storing for ourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust 
and thieves can steal them, but we are storing for ourselves treasures in heaven. To one day hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So how do we prepare for what we don't know what to prepare for? By these words. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's time to choose.